This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 138. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, and I am your host, Riley Bowman. Riley is the guy who likes big words like extreme and insane and ultimate, pretty much any superlative that comes to his mind. And I am Jacob Paulson. Jacob is the guy who only cares about the planet when it's free and convenient. That's that's always slightly fair. You only recycle if it doesn't cost you anything. What kind of person are you? Come on. Here's the deal. Like the, 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 the garbage company, right? Like you pay them a monthly fee to have a little bin in front of your house and that's for garbage and they have recycle bins, but you have to pay extra for those. Like, are, are you kidding? So I, I recently moved into an H by recently, like a year ago, I moved into an HOA where the recycle bin is just part of the fee. And so now I recycle because, you know, I don't have to pay extra, but I'm not, I'm not going to pay extra to help the environment. Like they should just do that stuff. Uh, by the way, my, I've had free recycling with my trash service for years. Oh, aren't you special? And ask me if I use it. Uh. <laughs> oh, so okay. then, then who, at, least, at least I do it when it's free and convenient. I do use it. Probably not 100%, but I do use it. <laughs> that's if they pick it up. Now, that, that's a whole other discussion. So there's times where they don't pick it up, and that, gets, that makes me really mad. Then I'm less yeah. inclined to put it out the next time. Well, society would have you believe that you're a bad person if you don't load that in the back of your truck and drive it to some recycling center somewhere. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that. Me neither. Someone out there right now listening to to this podcast is like plucking their eyes out. They hate us Oh my gosh. Many of you probably aren't, but anyway. (laughs) So uh, speaking of big words, yes, superlatives. That is a big word, Jacob. Congrats. I'm I'm so proud of you. Uh, no, anyway, so today, uh, we this, t- this episode is titled The Ultimate Concealed Carry Beginner's Guide, Part 1. We have no idea how many parts there will be. <laughs> we have no idea when Part 2 will be. But we know that this will probably not be the only time we do something like this. So uh, today's episode is, uh, it was, uh, what's the word? Inspired. <laughs> That's a big word, right? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Sure. Uh, today's episode was inspired by a listener that wrote in. I'm going to share with you some of what he wrote in just a little bit. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. If you're looking for more training and better gear, we hope that you'll consider joining Guardian Nation today to be part of the fastest growing tribe of self-defense shooters nationwide. Members receive access to an amazing collection of, of benefits, such as our concealedcarry.com shooter skill library, Guardian Nation live broadcasts and past recordings, as well as 10% off everything sold at concealedcarry.com. And I think we even have some goodies in there for members that is that are free, like maybe some books, I think. Yes. Or some videos. <laughs> How about that for vague and unspecific? <laughs> I know we have some free stuff in there. So anyway, uh, but don't forget that once every quarter and we're you know, the clock is ticking to where it'll be time for us, I think, to send another box here before too long, right, Jacob? Yeah, August 15th. Yeah, that's a big deal. So uh, we're looking forward to sending our next box of gear to all Guardian Nation members 
provided they've been a member for at least three months. Or if they're annual or quarterly or, members. That's right. That's right. right. So you could join right now, and if you join at the quarterly or annual level, you would get the next box. I should say, so on August 15th, we are really looking forward to shipping our next Guardian Gear box to all qualifying members of Guardian Nation. Go. <laughs> and it's going to be a good one. So join now and get your dues returned to you in gear every three months. Check it out at guardiannation.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Pig Lube and Quick Draw. Stay tuned for those. And so now let's get into today's topic, the ultimate CCW beginner's guide, part one. And first I'd like to share, like I mentioned, uh, we got this email recently from a listener, Neil. Neil, I hope you're okay with me sharing this. I didn't ask for permission beforehand, but <laughs> uh, Neil said that uh, he actually wrote a pretty lengthy email, so I'm not going to go into everything, but he's a fairly new CCWer. And so, Neil, I'm very proud of you for taking the steps necessary to to get your permit, to get some training, to take, I think, the right approach. Like, you, Jacob, you could tell reading his email that he, he doesn't want to make any mistakes. He wants to do it right. He wants to be responsible there's another big word for you <laughs> and, <laughs> and and so one thing he said here is he shared a story about uh shooting his gun and i hope i don't embarrass you neil but but i think this is really key because we all at some point have done this so so don't be embarrassed by this in any i've done this and i you know i'm no longer embarrassed to say i've done it uh, it's been a while since I did it, but that's okay. We've all done it at some point. And so he says, last week I left the range bleeding. <laughs> now, Jacob, when I first read that, I was like, oh no, he shot himself. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. yeah I, was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was swallowing buckets at the same time too. <laughs> and he says, with several other shooters concerned, <laughs> oh no, Neil, what'd you do? And then he says, I decided to try left-handed shooting, you know, because you guys say we should train to shoot in other than normal situations. That's true. I should have dry fire practiced with my left-handed grip because I wound up placing my right hand, I think he means his right hand thumb, over his left hand and got sliced across my thumb knuckle by the slide. We call that a slide bite. While trying to disarm the gun, I dripped a small pool of blood on the range floor and then left the trail to the bathroom. I did a cleanup, told the range master what happened, checked out, and left. <laughs> I'm sorry that happened to you, Neil, uh, yeah. but you bring up a really great point. He said that I should have dry fire practiced his left-handed shooting grip before going to the range and trying that live without having ever without ever having done it before. And I completely agree. That's why we talk. That's why we're such huge advocates here at ConcealedCarry.com and the Concealed Carry podcast about dry fire practice. I think everything that you are going to do at the range at some point, well, there might be a few exceptions. I can't think of any right now, but pretty much everything that you're going to do at some point live fire, you should do beforehand at least dry fire practice. Practice it first. We 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 crawl, then we walk, then we run is the idea, right? And so dry fire practicing is like the walking phase or maybe the crawling phase, depending on where you are at and things. It's definitely not, you know, you just don't go to the range and expect to run right away. And, and so we're going to get into this a little bit more specifically, but he said this, you guys do a great job. I appreciate how you bring up various scenarios and training tips. I don't know how because you guys have so much experience, but my two cents would be to maybe be more cognizant of newer shooters and carriers. There are so many little details like stiff belts and rapid slicing slides, bigger pants, pipe cleaners, Q-tips, copper fouling, lead fouling, et cetera, et cetera. 
Again, I just want to thank, say thanks for all that you do for this community of people. I like you gun geeks more with each episode. Signed, Neil. So today's episode is dedicated essentially to Neil because a lot of what we're going to talk about today are things that he brought up in his email to us. But I suspect that if he's emailing us with this information, that there are other of our listeners that are wondering about some of these things. And so I recognize that for some of you out there, we're going to talk about some pretty basic stuff and that might turn you off, but I hope that you'll stick with us because, you know, my experience has been, I'm a pretty experienced shooter now, pretty experienced in concealed carry, but even when I attend fairly basic training courses and I do from, you know, uh, attend several courses over the, over the course of a year, I still learn stuff. I still come away with, with benefiting. So I suspect that, you know, be patient, stick with us today and we'll cover some things today. I think will benefit almost all shooters, but it will especially be valuable for you newbies out there. And hence why we have come up with the ultimate concealed carrier, concealed carry, what did I say? The ultimate. <laughs> You're struggling. The, the ultimate, ultimate concealed carry beginner's guide. Beginner's part guide. Part one. <laughs> yeah, just let me know if you need me to cut in here. Sure, thanks. You know, I'll add this too. For those of you who are like, ah, uh, yeah, these are this is gonna be too basic for me. Part of of the key of reviewing things like this is not just learning it, but it's also reviewing it. And here's my main point: it's also learning how to explain it with new words or from a different perspective. So every everyone, every listener here, every concealed carrier out there is also a teacher. Whether you're formally trained as an instructor or you do that as a business or not, you're still a guy or a gal who goes to the range, stands next to other shooters and shoots. You have friends who shoot and you have spouses maybe, you have friends, you have brothers, sisters or whoever. And so you're also always teaching. All of us are teachers, right? And some of the best ways to learn things are to also to teach them. So anytime you get an opportunity to re, you know, rehear or relearn basics is another way for you to also learn how to explain or reteach them later. So there's a thought. Absolutely. Good thought, Jacob. I'm so glad I have you here today. <laughs> uh, I hope that's not facetious. How's that for a big word? <laughs> I use facetious all the time. Right. So uh, anyway, hey, let's get into it. So like I said, we, we would use Neil's uh, email today as sort of a guide. Uh, I've added a couple of things to this list of things we're going to discuss. And I'm really looking forward to get into it with you, Jacob. So first off, uh, I want to make it clear that today we are not going to cover choosing guns or holsters or really going over that stuff. We've, we've kind of done some episodes about choosing you know, the right gun or choosing so the right holster and uh, stuff like that. So you, know, you could go back to some of those episodes and listen to those if you want to cover those things in greater depth for some of you newbies out there. In particular, uh, maybe we'll cover some more specific things relating to guns or holsters, uh, you know, in another, maybe a part two or part three of this, we'll call it a series. But uh, today, we're not doing that. Today, we're focused more, we're, in fact, we're going to start right off the bat by talking about good belts. All right. Mm. So, you know, what would a beginner, uh, you know, someone getting into concealed carry or anyone for that matter, what kind of belt is a good belt? Uh, that would be a good choice for concealed carry. Jacob, you've been kind of passionate on this subject, I know, in the past. Well, you still are, I, I would imagine, but... <laughs> so, so tell me your I, thoughts about belts. Yeah, so first and foremost, let's talk about why why belts matter. So if you're like, what? Belts? Why are we going to talk about belts? You know, let, let me give some clarity there. So the vast majority of holsters connect to a pant, 
right? So they usually on a torso, whether it's an IWB holster that might slide into your pant and has a clip or two that kind of stay on the outside and clip onto the waistband or an OWB or hip style holster that goes on the outside, it also probably is going to clip onto a belt or waistline. Now, if you're using like a waistband style or belly band style holster, like the Brave Response holster that we sell, then, you know, maybe you don't need, you know, what belt you use is really not that relevant. You know, it doesn't really matter at that point, does it? Uh, But that said, since the vast majority of holsters do connect to a waistband of a pant, a belt becomes very relevant. Uh, most pants by themselves may not have enough strength to hold up that much weight. You know, it's one thing to hold up your pants. It's another thing to hold up your keys and your wallet. It's another thing to hold up two pounds of metal plus ammo. So the idea of the belt is we need a belt that will A, hold up. It'll be strong enough to hold up the gun. And B, it will also, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, it'll also um, facilitate whatever you're trying to portray. So if you're trying, if you're a professional, you're in a shirt and tie, it needs to be congruent. If you, you know, are, are, you know, whatever else it might be, that needs to be congruent. So that, that's the premise of why belts matter in our industry. Uh, it needs to be congruent. Well, I like to, you know, wear my operator's belt together with my Sunday dress, you know, my, my dress going into church on Sunday. Well, that's congruent for you, but I just even, I'm so <laughs> and, as do I, and at, and at church people say, what's up with that belt? And I'm like, oh, don't you know, in case I have to get picked up by a helicopter right now, I would attach the carabiner right here. How, how would you get picked up by a helicopter? And they look Life-like. at you like, you wacko, paranoid son of a gun. I'm going to save, you know, me, myself some time when uh, they need to life light me out of there. That's right. You know, just they just drop the right line. Now. I'll hook up to the belt, and away I go. <laughs> yeah. So that, but that's the premise. Is is you know that the strength of, of of the belt is kind of the key focus when we talk about gun belts. And I'll say that there's companies out there that make only gun belts, right? Hey, this is a belt we make specifically for supporting a gun. There are other companies out there that they're just in the belt business. And so they figured, hey, these gun people want strong belts. Sure, we'll make belts and call them gun belts. No problem. Um, There are a couple of reviews of a couple different products on our website. I know we have the review you just did, Riley, of the next belt. Uh, Matthew did one of Hank's uh, belts not too long ago. We also sell um, leather uh, gun belts. We have three different designs, um, but there's there's endless options out there. Yeah, absolutely. So some things that are, I mean, really important to me. You've you've touched on a little bit, but I, I think this is like the most important thing with a gun belt is that it's stiff. Because when we see people using cheap belts with holsters, those belts over time, and like you know, the first week or two, or maybe even the first month or two, maybe there's not any problem. But what you will see happen is that belt will begin to kind of like roll over or fold, and uh, it just it just will not hold up to the weight of holding and carrying all that gear. Um, it's, and it's not, it's not like a lot of people are carrying, you know, big, massive, heavy guns these days. I mean, so often they're, they're little compact guns, but still having a good belt is really key. Also, a, a belt that I think has, I mean, I think this kind of is one and the same. You don't really make a good stiff belt without having some thickness to it. Well, having some thickness to that belt helps a lot of times with clips from holsters that need to clip to that belt. If your belt is really thin and flimsy, well, then, you know, maybe your holster no longer has retention like it should because someone just gets a hold of your gun. And even if the holster itself retains the gun, but maybe they're able to just rip the holster right off your waistband. That's also an issue of keeping the holster in place, right? If you have a really thin 
uh, belt and your holster clip is designed to clip around something that's a little bit more meaty, then that holster is not going to stay put very easily. It's going to slide, you know, toward the rear or toward the front, uh, you know, depending on whatever the path of least resistance is. So if you want that thing to stay in place, then you need to make sure that the belt, you know, is, is beefy enough to feel the clip, If I guess. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. So I, I think one thing that would be helpful for listeners is uh, you, you've mentioned some already, Jacob. You mentioned next next belt, which I did a review on, and I am wearing actually right now as we currently record this. Uh, you mentioned uh, what was the other one that Matthew Hanks. reviewed? Hanks Hanks belts. Those are great belts. Very well made belts. Uh, but I think we could probably mention a few other kind of brands or styles that people might keep an eye out for. If they're searching for a belt, they might look at these first uh, in general direction so they can start with the right with the right gear. And well, shameless plug for our belts. Again, just to repeat, we do sell belts. <laughs> right, right. So if you go into shop and if you shop by category, uh, I think, do we have a belt category, Jacob? There, yeah, it's in the apparel category. Uh-huh. So you just go to apparel and we have three styles. There's a dress belt, a casual belt, and an airport belt. The airport belt just simply doesn't have any metal on it, so it can go through a metal det- detector. Yeah. Um, so you can check those out. They're, th- they're very well made here in the U.S. They're all leather. Um, the one I'll start off with, uh, you know, coming out of that, the other one I'll throw out is Wilderness Tactical, which is the one I use most of the time. I'm not a leather belt guy, and so I like Wilderness Tactical's belt. It's, it was my pick of the week many episode, many, many, many episode ago. And I really like Wilderness Tactical. I have a slight weird quirk. And I know listeners are shocked to hear that I have any quirks. But uh, as it were, I won't wear a belt that doesn't have a money pocket in it. You know, a zipper money pocket that I can stick cash and other things in. And so I like the Wilderness Tactical system. They have kind of a build-your-own-belt system on their website. You can pick the color. You can pick the thickness. You can pick the width. You can pick the buckle style. And then you can obviously uh, select if you want the money pouch or not. And so I like Wilderness Tactical. That would be my my number one recommendation. Yeah. So if you want to be like Jacob and have your belt, not you know, not only be a quality belt, but also weigh about 20 pounds with all the gold <laughs> coins that he's stuffed inside there. There's no <laughs> coins. <laughs> so, folks, man. you know, if you run into Jacob, just know he's got gold coins in his belt. <laughs> There's no gold coins. There might be some cash, but you have to go past the gun to get to the cash. Uh, yeah, yeah. I wilderness, but they make they make a great product. I'm I'm a raving yeah. fan. Yeah, no, I've I've been impressed with that belt as well. Now, let's quickly. You're you're about to throw out some other names, I suspect. But before we do that, let me mention width of belt is a critical factor here, mostly because it's a preference issue, but also it's a pants compatibility issue. You might go out, get all excited. You hear this episode, you go decide to go buy a good gun belt and you order it and it shows up and it's two inches wide and you go to thread that through the pants that you wear every day and you're like, uh, the belt loops aren't big enough for this belt I just bought. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, one I was planning on making as a segue into our next topic but before we get to that, to that next thing, <laughs> uh, yeah, width is uh, is really key. I mean, a, a a wider belt will resist, you know, kind of that rolling o- over uh, and twisting that sometimes will happen with cheaper uh, belts. And uh, yeah, so you know, inch and a half belt is probably a pretty common belt size. Mm-hmm. I actually don't really prefer. Inch and a half. I, I really like inch and three quarters, which is a little unusual because there are many pants that won't even accommodate an inch and three quarter uh, inch belt. And um, 
I that really irks me. Uh, most of my uh, uh, cargo, you know, pocket, you know, kind of tactical style uh, pants. That's not an issue with. Those are designed a lot of times to at least fit a, a, a one and seven or one point seven five inch belt. Um, but uh, yeah, so a lot of your standard blue jeans that you might buy probably won't accommodate inch and three quarter. Or dress slacks, you know, if you have to wear yes. dress nicely to work, you're going to be in big trouble with inch and three quarter, even inch and a half. You might struggle with if it's really thick on some dress slacks. That's true too. That is, yeah, if it's really thick, that's a good point as well. Now, two inch belts usually, I mean, we only come in come across those, com, you know, commonly amongst uh, like duty gear. Two and two and a quarter inch is like a duty belt, and and while those have an application, those are probably not the best uh, choice for uh, you know everyday use. Uh, but, uh, so I, I like inch and three quarter for me. It's, it's that like, it's a perfect balance of size and stiffness and, you know, it's just a really good size belt, I think, especially for a lot of holsters. Now that's another Mm -hmm. beef I sometimes have with holsters is Uh, most holster companies, when they ship you a product, they ship it with inch and a half belt, belt loops. And that drives me crazy because, uh, you know, because a lot of times what happens is I'll go to a website, let's say if I'm going to order a holster, and I don't see an option a lot of times for a custom, you know, belt clip width. And that really irks me because then what happens is they ship me inch and a half default. And then I'm usually contacting them after the fact saying, hey, do you have clips for inch and three quarter? Because... A lot of my belts are inch and three quarter. I I like and here's a brand, another brand I'm going to throw out there. Like a five eleven has a lot of good quality belts out there, uh, even be basic cheap ones. I mean, another one that I wear commonly is just a basic five eleven. I don't know if they call it the operator's belt, but it kind of looks like it, it's a really basic belt. And uh, I'm looking it up right now, but uh, it's like fifteen bucks or twenty bucks tops. It's cheap. But it's you know really adequate for as far as a gun belt. Um, let's see here. Here it is. This oh, it's the TDU belt. In fact, this is the exact one I have right here. The five eleven tactical double duty TDU belt. And what they mean by double duty is it's uh, it's got a khaki color on the front and black on the back, so it's reversible. So you can go black when you want a black. You can go khaki when you want khaki. I really like Ooh. that. Yeah, so that was 20 bucks basically, and I, I wear that one quite a bit. Um, yeah, so, and I think they have that one in inch and a half and inch and seven, what am I trying to say? Inch and three quarters widths. Um, I could be wrong. I swear mine's inch and three quarter, but anyway. So, there you go. 511, that's another good place to look for, for belts, but keep in mind, pants belt loops on those pants and also clips on holsters. Uh, so you want everything to kind of, you know, be compatible as much as possible. Mm-hmm. There's definitely days where I choose a certain belt because of the pants I'm wearing, not being compatible with my wider belts. And there's days I choose maybe a different holster because it doesn't accommodate sometimes that wider belt that I prefer. Sure. And that, a lot of times that happens because I'm, I'm trying to review a holster or something like I've got one here, I'm working on a review for that came with inch and a half wide clips. And so I got to wear my, uh, that uh, next belt, which is a inch and a half belt. 
Anyway. I'll, I'll give one last uh, shout out uh, to LA police, uh, LA police gear.com. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm shopping for something in the apparel world and we don't sell it on our site, I'm likely to check 511 and LA police gear and LA police gear does resell 511, but they have their own brand and they carry some other brands as well. So that they often do big sales and stuff. So that, that's another one to always check. Yeah. And, and for you, you know, like I said, for, for those of you that have never, maybe never shopped for a gun belt before, let me let me finish off kind of a list here. We've already talked about uh, Hank's belts, uh, Wilderness, what is it, Wilderness Tactical. Um, the next belt that I reviewed, um, 511 Tactical, Blackhawk, you might look at. Um, oh, Viking Tactics. And we, we've, we are stocking now a uh, select few of Viking Tactics belts in our online store. So you can go check those out. I think we've got, let's see, We've got the scuffle belt and the yeah. cobra belt. Cobra, These, yeah, both great yep. belts. Lots of colors. Yep. And let's see. You might check into. Let's see, I mentioned Black Hawk. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. There's one I'm missing here that was on my on the tip of my tongue a moment ago, but I've I've completely missed it. Well, anyway, later so, we'll be talking. They'll just shout it out, and people will just have to know that you're talking about a belt all of a sudden. Anyway, so I hope that's helpful. I hope that gets you kind of a start in finding some some decent uh, belts. So next up is pants, because mm-hmm. I think sometimes people don't know what maybe a good choice is for pants when they're carrying concealed. And so, well, well, I don't know if there's, well, there probably are some bad choices, but there there's definitely some considerations that you might want to keep in mind when you choose pants. Now, Jacob, you mm-hmm. wear a lot of jeans. So I'm curious, you know, what, what your take is on pants, especially in the blue jean world. Yeah, I mean, my, I, I think that we get too wrapped up in the idea of which pants one should or shouldn't carry, to be honest. Like, to me, we and as an industry, we overthink it. It's like the premise of concealed carry is that you should be able to wear it with whatever you wear. So I, I don't want a listener to, to hear this episode and think, oh, I got to go change all the pants I own. Um, that's not all what we're saying here. And, and it wouldn't be a bad idea over time to make some changes. But I, I think that there's some, some considerations. Certainly, we got to talk about waist size uh, and, and what that looks like. Uh, but you know, specific to blue jeans, I don't know that I have any, anything specific to say, Riley. Uh, I, I, I mean, quality jeans are quality jeans. So if you're, if you're getting some stretchy pants that are supposed to look like jeans, then they're, they're probably going to print on the gun a little bit more than actual legitimate denim. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that would be all I have to say on that. I, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the tighter the cut of the pants, that'd be something else to think about. And with jeans, that's a legitimate question, right? Some some jeans are really cut tight. If you're the cowboy, if you're buying Wranglers and you got the boot cut and, you know, it's all, you have to, you know, get a friend to help you take them off at night because they're so tight on you. That That's going to be a challenge to carrying a concealed gun. So you do need a little bit of space in there. You know, my wife has always says to me something to the effect of, oh, you're such a, you look so sloppy all the time. Everything's too big for you. And it's like, well, I, that's because I got a gun, you know? Like I'll often have people ask me like, hey, what's your shirt size? I'm like, well, it depends on if I'm carrying a gun or not. Like if I, if I want to buy that, gu- that shirt so I can carry a gun, I got to buy a large. Otherwise I'll take a medium. Um, and, and so that that's also true of pants is you got to have a sense for, you know, I'm not saying you can't be stylish. I'm saying that you need to understand that concealing a gun has certain requirements. And so, you know, having that thing skin tight is going to be a problem. Yeah. So, I, you know, like you said, we, we sometimes get kind of, 
you know, lost in the weeds, so to speak, as far as uh, debating, you know, this pant or that pant or this style or that style. But I do think that there's something to be said. Uh, well, before I get to that, I, I agree with you as far as I don't want anyone listening to this feeling like, you know, they that they do have to go out and spend a couple hundred dollars to change their wardrobe just so they can carry concealed. There's definitely a lot that can be done in terms of holster choice and carry uh, locations and selections that, you know, where you can accommodate a lot of different styles of dress for most people, especially if you're a guy. Uh, the women, uh, unfortunately, you ladies out there have a little bit more of a challenge, I think, uh, fitting a gun. A little bit? A little bit more of a challenge? Okay. I'd call it like 10 a, a lot more <laughs> of a challenge? Fine, whatever. Sorry. <laughs> I, I just think, you know, it's it's really tough for dudes to understand this. Like, I often will sit in front of, and you, you do this too, right? You, you're standing in front of a classroom of students, you, and you're talking about holsters and concealment, and you look out on the crowd, and you think, okay, all you dudes, you're going to be fine. And then you look at the women in the in the room, and you're like, you're in big trouble. Like, the clothes you're wearing right now are, would be massively challenging. Um, and, and so, anyway, I'm sorry to like go tangent on, on everybody, but it's, it's a significant uphill battle if you're a woman. Um, in other words, I shouldn't say it's a significant uphill battle. What I should say is you're going to have to make more changes to make this work than men will. Yeah, there's definitely truth in those words. Uh, so back to where I was. Yes, tangent that was, Jacob. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I was just talking about we. There are a lot of options out, available out there to accommodate a lot of different lifestyles, a lot of different uh, styles of dress, both men and women. And yes, women have a harder job because mostly because they choose clothing for themselves um, more more tastefully, and they're they're not slobs a lot of times like us guys are. So, or at least as we tend to be more so. So, uh, but. Regardless of of that, I do think there's some things that one can do over time. You know, you can add to your wardrobe and add some more tools in your to- toolbox, so to speak, to to make concealed carry a little bit easier. And one of those, I think, is uh, or it would be a pair of pants that has a stretchy waistband because it accommodates carrying concealed or not carrying concealed, or it accommodates carrying inside waistband or outside waistband very easily. Whereas if you're choosing a pair of pants that fits you uh, without anything inside your waistband, and suddenly you want to stuff something in the waistband that doesn't work very well. And so, you know, we, we see a couple of, you know, ways of, or different approaches where some folks will, you know, that, that are wearing jeans, they will always buy their jeans a size bigger, you know, so that they can carry concealed. And then what they end up with is a wardrobe that is always a little bit bigger. And for those times where they can't carry inside waistband uh, or carry at all, now they have pants that are a little, you know, they just don't fit as well. And so I like a lot of these, like right now, I'll tell you what I'm wearing is some cargo shorts that uh, just look like normal, regular dude shorts, but they've got an elastic band that accommodates inside waistband carry or whatever, you know, very, very well. There's just enough stretch there to make that, uh, that transition very easy. If I, you know, yesterday I was carrying, uh, appendix inside waistband today. I'm carrying OWB. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, 
same type of pants or shorts or whatever. And uh, that just makes it really easy. So there's some, I think, food for thought there. But the one thing for particular, one thing in particular for you newbies out there to concealed carry is that you might not have thought before you heard this episode that uh, you might not have thought about the idea that, oh, I need pants that are a little bit bigger if I'm going to carry inside waistband. So, because we sometimes have a tendency to do that. I know that at one, one, you know, once upon a time when I was new to this uh, concept of concealed carry, I bought a gun and I bought a holster and then I went to try it out and I went, wait a minute, hmm, how come I didn't think of that? <laughs> you know, my pants don't work with this. And then suddenly I realized I had a wardrobe change to make. And, yeah. you know, that, that, that does add to the cost of things for sure. Yeah. I, and we did, we did some cool research math slash stuff on this at one point. We invented this thing called waistline displacement measurement, WDM, which essentially the idea was, you know, depend, how can I figure out how big or of pants do I need for my gun? And, you know, I'll, I'll spoil it. I'll just, you know, spoiler alert. The answer is virtually any size of gun is going to add about 1.2 to 1.6 inches to your waistline, which since you can't go buy pants that are 33.5 inches around, you're just going to always have to buy pants that are one size bigger, which is two inches, right? So if normally I wear a 36, I'm going to have to buy 38. If I normally wear 30, I'm going to have to buy 32. And uh, yeah, if I'm for whatever reason not carrying a gun that day, that means I'm going to have to have a belt and cinch that sucker up. Yep. So there you go. Let's talk now about, I think, another, we'll call it a tip, if you will, for uh, beginning CCWers, and that is the idea of undershirts, mm. okay, or no undershirt. It, it basically, the, the idea is that if we're carrying a gun, particularly inside waistband, what are some of the considerations or strategies with clothing that is underneath, you know, the outer yeah. clothing or no clothing underneath. You know what I mean? So like, so basically we have two issues here. One is some people will wear an, an undershirt and I think that actually solves a lot of problems for concealed carry, but you definitely have those folks out there that, that they just refuse to wear an undershirt, uh, whether that's a comfort thing for them uh, or it's a, uh, a heat thing. And so you know, so they will refuse to wear an undershirt. And then they're complaining about, well, my gun is, you know, constantly chafing me or things are uncomfortable because, you know, it's right up, right up against my skin. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I guess where I'm going with this is my number one tip in this area uh, is to use an undershirt. Because I, I really, truly believe that wearing an undershirt while carrying concealed solves a lot of problems. Yeah, but I understand the comfort issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you and I live in Colorado, so someone's going to send us an email and say, "I live in Miami. How dare you tell me to wear a undershirt? You know, it's so hot and humid here, or something." You know, what but, I say to that. Now, granted, yeah. it was dry, dry heat, but I lived in Las Vegas for a time, and I wore an uh, undershirt. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> it's just part of my life, right? I mean, to me, I just I always wear an undershirt, always. Like it, it just is what it is, and I've moved on. Yeah, but yeah, I, I also think that gun is a consideration here. If you're a person who you know you carry that gun and it's just rubbing your raw, you know, on the skin, then you know, maybe 
try a different gun. You know, the stippling on the grip is one thing, but also, you know, if you have a hammer fire gun, uh, if you have a really big beaver tail sticking out there on the back of that gun, it's a lot of little things, you know, even the serrations on the slide potentially um, are things that you might be able to, you know, play with or try try a different gun and it might eliminate some of that issue. Also position on the body, you know, if you refuse to do the undershirt, because Riley's right, like wear an undershirt and all this conversation, we can just move on. But for you, I refuse people, you know, try moving that gun to a slightly different position, uh, you know, might also help in terms of how it rubs when you move and how you walk, especially if you got a bit of a gut. So yeah, those, those are all some ideas. Yeah. I was just thinking too, if you're not keen on an, an an undershirt, like a traditional, you know, like a, just like a t-shirt underneath a shirt, uh, a wife beater style, you know, shirt, you know, a tank top, a very light, thin tank top uh, underneath whatever it is you're wearing uh, shouldn't add too much bulk or too much warmth, you know. So, you know, look into some of the options out there. Uh, Let me speak a little bit about stippling. Now, a lot of serious shooters will stipple their grips. They'll have a custom stipple job done, or maybe they'll add add some grip tape. Uh, I'm looking at doing a custom stippling job on one of my guns, and now that's more for a comp- competition sort of thing. But uh, I know some guys that will do stippling work on their guns, and they will stipple the front strap, strap and back strap of the grip. Now, that's the very front portion uh of the grip and then the very rear portion of the grip and they'll stipple those areas really aggressively and then they'll stipple maybe the outside of the grip meaning the part that's away from their body fairly aggressively but they'll leave the inside quite smooth the part that's more likely to be rubbing against the body i think that's pretty wise uh, it it doesn't you know it's not as ideal obviously uh meaning that not you know my my grip the way i grip my gun i'm wrapping around that grip 360 degrees and i love texture on all sides of my grip but i definitely you know this is just a little kind of pro tip if you will for someone out there thinking about a stipple job or grip tape or whatever you might leave things off or make things smoother on the inside part of the grip that might solve some issues there as well yep Yep. Another thing to look at is a sweat guard. So a lot of holsters uh, have built-in sweat guards, you know, essentially a part of the the backing of the holster that comes up uh, that would, you know, sit between the grip of the gun, the top, the, the rear and or grip of the gun and your body. A lot of holsters do not have a sweat guard that comes up like that. So if this is also, if this is a deal breaker or something you've had a lot of issues with, you might change holsters. There's also a company out there owned by one of our Guardian Nation members. So I get to give him a shout out called Holster Partner LLC. And their website is holsterpartner.com. And they they sell kind of a, a, you know, a sweat guard, what they call a body shield, but it's a sweat guard that you can attach to, you know, adhesive with a really strong adhesive to your holster that doesn't have a sweat guard. So now yours does. So you don't have to t- change your holster completely. You just kind of can add this, you know, this add on to it. And you've, you've, you've used that product, haven't you, Riley? I have. Uh, I used it for the sake of trying it out and using it, seeing what it was all about. It it worked as advertised, I'll say that much. And it's, it's a pretty clever idea, I think, from a guy that uh, you know saw a problem that needed a solution and he came up with one. And it's pretty well executed. Like I said, it works as advertised. But let me address sweat guards. I personal, personally am not a fan because... If I need to draw my gun, I want as little 
obstruction as possible to drawing my gun and drawing it quickly. Now, I know some guys will say, well, I can learn to draw, you know, or I can work around that sweat guard. I, you know, I, I, they, you know, they're able to, they're able to force their, their hand, their thumb and everything down in between the gun and the sweat guard. And, and they're able to accomplish their draw, get their, you know, establish their grip really well. Uh, I, I just struggle with it. I, I just want, you know, I want to get to my grip without obstruction. I want to be able to establish my master grip without, without obstruction. I just don't like sweat guards Un- unless it's like a combat cut and a combat cut. Uh, for those that don't know is where you basically have a sweat guard, but it just covers the slide, like the upper rear portion of your slide of your gun uh, and doesn't, it doesn't obstruct in any way around the grip area of the gun. So, uh, you know, I have holsters with a combat cut. I have holsters where I have, you know, my very first crossbreed holster before I knew anything, I ordered it just standard. And you know, I remember seeing an option when I ordered it, you know, for a combat cut. I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and I get it. And after a few days, I'm like, man, this thing's kind of hard to draw, you know, because there's all this leather in the way, you know, of my, of my hand. And so then I realized what that was, what they meant by combat cut. And I, I, I made my own combat cut. I cut out that extra material I didn't need and uh, solved the problem. So, yeah, no, no, and I totally agree with you 110%. Like, I don't like kind of to reiterate what we've already said, wear an undershirt and this whole thing, we can move on, you know, yeah. like me and Riley are both just undershirt guys and it solves all these problems really quickly and speedily. Um, if you just can't do the undershirt, then hopefully you know, some of these other ideas about position, about stippling, about sweat guards uh, are helpful, you know, because cause I'll say this, like having the gun and having to overcome a sweat guard or not having ideal stippling is preferable to not having a gun at all because you hate carrying it so much because it's, you know, chafing your skin. So having a gun is always preferable to not having a gun, but just wear an undershirt. Yeah, good stuff. Let's move on to now cleaning accessories. And so what I've grouped into there, uh, because Neil mentioned it in his email, he mentioned pipe cleaners and Q-tips. Huh, yeah. Yeah, and I I know I think I've mentioned Q-tips at some point in the podcast talking about, uh, you know, not using your mama's (laughs) standard, you know, makeup, whatever, whatever. you know, Q-tips, the cotton ones that you just buy from, you know, your favorite store. But uh, I prefer ones that are designed with gun cleaning in mind, particularly if it's like a foam tip, uh, you know, so you're not snagging little cop, uh, cotton fibers and things in the action of your gun and getting all this crap stuck in your gun from your Q-tip. So anyway, so I think what Neil was getting at was, you know, talk about some of these finer points of gun cleaning. Uh, pipe cleaners are a wonderful tool. Uh, they're they're absolutely essential, in my opinion, to clean out the uh, 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 gas tube on an AR-15. There's just no real, you know, really viable way of doing that without a pipe cleaner. Uh, just a little one, you know, but pipe cleaners also come in handy in other areas where if you can sneak, snake it through a tight spot on your handgun or on your rifle and you can put a little solvent on there and snake that through there and you can reach a lot of crud that you sometimes otherwise can't reach, at least not without taking the gun completely apart. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, Q-tips don't use standard cotton ones, although <clears throat> I will go ahead and, and, and admit that a lot of times I do. <laughs> 
<laughs> because, you know, I run out of the There's nicer, expensive available. ones. And my wife, you know, has a 2,000-year supply of Q-tips. And it's just like, well, I'll just grab some of those. But when I do, I'm very careful to not, you know, snag them on things and, and leave, you know, little fibers behind them in the action of my gun. Yep. So, Fair um, enough. Yeah, and I don't think we need to spend too much time here. I was just going to add that I am probably not the best person to talk to about gun cleaning because I'm really kind of a minimalist where it comes to cleaning my guns. I have a very basic procedure that I follow. So, you know, you can definitely get really crazy about and very detailed about how you clean your guns and some tips and tricks and, and ways of doing things super thoroughly. Uh, I, I probably don't even know a lot of that stuff because I'm very much minimalist. Part of the reason I am is because I have a certain way of doing it. That's very simple and it's always worked for me. I've not ever had any problems because I understand you know, the, the critical pieces of my gun that as far as like what must be clean and what must be lubricated that, uh, you know, I don't spend, I don't waste a lot of time on, on unnecessary cleaning or unnecessary lubrication. Yeah. I, I would, I would encourage people to check your instruction manual. You know, I mean, you're <laughs> the manufacturer, the company that made that gun is going to have some recommendations and don't forget about the university of YouTube. You know, I mean, YouTube's free. I learned a ton of things on YouTube and you, you do have to go through some crap sometimes to find some quality, but um, odds are you can get some really good information on YouTube. Um, related to, to this, I'll also say when I was a beginner, probably the biggest misconception I had about guns and cleaning guns related. And, and I think it's because of a Sylvester Stallone movie, but I, I, I honestly believe that if a gun got too dirty, it would like permanently destroy that gun. Like, you know, if, if I dropped my gun in the dirt, like, oh no, like I might have to throw this away and buy a new gun um, or, or something, you know? And, and I always just kind of had this thing in my head that like, I have to treat this really carefully, you know, or else it might might be ruined. And guns are ultimately just like, chunks of metal and plastic and they operate together. So I'm not saying you can't ruin a gun or ruin certain parts of a gun, but know that, you know, anything is overcomable. Like you can, if you clean the gun properly and lubricate it properly, it should run unless you have a little, you know, a part, there's a part or piece of that gun that needs to be replaced. I might have somebody out there that would disagree with me on this, but lubrication is always more important than cleaning. Well, I agree with you for what that's worth. Wow, I'm sure that's saying something. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you care. But yeah, I mean, more more important than it being like spick and span is that it operate. <laughs> and so you can have a gun that's perfectly clean. Literally, I can go dump it in a in a sink full of water and soap suds, and it will be splickety lickety clean. But it may not fire properly because it's not lubricated. Now, on the flip side, if a gun is really dirty but it's lubricated well, it should still run. I mean, it, it could eventually get to a point where you start to have issues, but lubrication is always number one, and that's why. And it's one that I think is sometimes taken for granted and overlooked by uh, newer gun owners and newer CCWers. So that's why we're including this in today's Ultimate CCW Beginner's Guide. So let's talk real quick, you know, kind of we've been talking about some cleaning, and this is a type of cleaning or an aspect of cleaning your gun, and that's deal with fouling, specifically lead fouling and or copper fouling. Now, I have a very simple answer 
to the idea of lead fouling. And what is lead fouling or copper fouling for that matter? It is fouling in the barrel that is little deposits of lead left behind in that barrel because you know barrels as much as we like to think they're very smooth and and definitely a really well-built custom gun with a hand-lapped barrel and all this stuff is going to be a lot smoother than a lot of your factory barrels but no matter what there's there's always little imperfections in in barrel material and and so what will happen is you're going to get little deposits left behind in that barrel uh, a lot You'll see this with both lead and copper, but especially with lead, especially with higher velocity bullets that are lead. Uh, one of the, you, you never see a rifle uh, that you know that fires at three thousand feet per second that you fire an, a lead only bullet with, because that that bullet would basically just melt, you know. But the more we increase the velocity of a bullet. Uh, if it's lead, it becomes very susceptible to fouling. So an easy solution to avoiding lead fouling is don't shoot all or lead only bullets. Mm-hmm. Like always shoot jacketed bullets, copper jacketed bullets. And so then we run into that. That really is, in my opinion, I, you know, it, is there ways to clean lead fouling? Absolutely. There is, but I don't think it's really that much. It's not really in the scope of this podcast because most of you are carrying handguns for self-defense and we would advocate that you carry a jacketed hollow point bullet for self-defense anyway. So just don't shoot lead and you don't have to worry about lead fouling. But with copper, you might have to worry about some copper fouling. Now, it usually honestly is not that big of an issue with handgun rounds with nine millimeter and 40 and 45 because they just aren't well a couple things one they're not really going that fast compared to you know shooting a 4,000 foot per second uh 250 you know uh, rifle <clears throat> we're talking like thousand feet per second and it, there just isn't as much of an opportunity for fouling to take place. I mean, when we add, when we increase velocity and we increase friction and we increase heat, then that's where we start to get more fouling. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I'll, you know, my, I'm trying to think of how I can add some value here. You know, the, the fouling is essentially melting into the gun, right? And, and you, in a shotgun, you can even get like plastic wad residue that will, you know, kind of melt in the same way and also, Absolutely. you know, potentially be called fouling. And and so the idea is minimize how much I get and clean it out when I get it. Um, and, and so that's why you, you go on the market and you look at cleaning products and you'll have some that are, you know, very simple and basic and others that are, you know, we're the solvent, we're going to get out all the, you know, and, and so that, that, that's why you probably want to have a little of everything, but you need to say, okay, for my average cleaning, I don't need to use this hardcore cleaner every time. I, I can just use a kind of a standard, uh, oil lubricant, uh, and, and, and a standard cleaner and I'll be fine. Uh, and then on occasion, you know, if I run a gun all day long or for, you know, a couple thousand rounds, I, I'm, you know, without cleaning it because I'm in a two day course or three day course, then I, I might have to get serious about going deep on that sucker. Yeah. And my rule of thumb for how to know when you have a fouling problem and you need to address it is, uh, I shine a light down the bore of my gun. And if it starts to look like copper, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it, it has that, that, 
bronzy, you know, yellowish, goldish, whatever color, then I'm like, eh, okay, I got some copper fouling. And and mm-hmm. my pick of the week today for today's episode of the podcast, I'm saving, so I'm not giving it to you now because you're going to have to stick around for my pick to learn what I use to take care of copper fouling, which I will say right now, I have never used on a handgun yet, <laughs> uh, but I have used a couple, of, I've used a number of times on some, some of my rifles. So now let's jump on to this, this one here I have titled in our notes as gun accessorizing. And I suspect you probably know what I mean uh, by this, Jacob, but... Um, I hope so. <laughs> but let me explain. A lot of times what I see happen, and, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a member of several groups on Facebook that are gun-oriented or concealed carry-oriented groups. And I, I like to jump in there when I have time and where I can and, you know, provide some feedback to, to folks asking questions or whatever. Uh, sometimes it's really entertaining, some of the questions that come up. I'm, I don't mean to make it sound like, okay, somebody that, that doesn't, they just don't know about guns and they ask a, a very basic question. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sometimes questions I think are just not very logical questions uh, where someone doesn't really take, take the time to think through it. I really believe that people should, as much as possible, you know, take responsibility for themselves, whether it's for their own self-defense or it's for their self-learning, you know, like use that God-given brain that we all have and, and reason through things. But one of the things that is a common topic that comes up often is, you know, what accessories should I get for my gun or what should I add or do to my gun to make it better? Whether it be add a, uh, a laser sight, uh, change out the sights, uh, changing the trigger, changing the mag release, the slide stop. And by the way, this is, this is very common in the Glock community, which is kind of ironic in a way because what's Glock's, uh, you know, motto or whatever perfection, perfection, you know, and like people love their Glocks and don't get me wrong. I love my Glocks and I have several of them and I, I do, I'm carrying one right now. Uh, <laughs> no gun platform is a perfect platform. Uh, so, you know, of course that's just a, a saying Glock, you know, it's all marketing speak, but, but, but it's funny to me because people buy a Glock and if they really truly believe it's like the perfect platform, but then they first thing they say is, what, what trigger do I get? What mag release do I get? You know, what, uh, what accessories do I add to this, to this supposedly perfect gun? Uh, and before you know it, you have a gun that doesn't even look like the same gun anymore. <laughs> but all that aside, and, and that's all fine and well. But here's my point for today's episode for you beginning CCWers out there is don't worry about the accessories yet. It is learn how to shoot that thing first. You know, buy your, make your choice, make, make the good, make a good choice for a gun, but then go and spend some time at the range and spend some money in terms of ammunition, shooting that thing, learn how to shoot it, shoot it well, shoot it accurately and gradually build up your speed to where you're shooting accurately and quickly learn how to shoot that thing before you start worrying about what accessories do I, do I, do I add or what parts do I swap out or what trigger job do I do? Learn how to shoot the gun. Then worry about the accessories. Yeah. I might have to talk Riley down off his soapbox here. He's, he's, this is a passionate one for you. Um, I, you know, <laughs> so my thought on this would be, I think people often try to accessorize to compensate for lack of skill or confidence. 
I see people all the time like, well, what about my laser? Like, I got on my lane. I'm like, why? Like, well, so I can like make, see the bad guys. Like, have you ever heard of this thing called aiming? You know, like proper grip, slide alignment. Um, and, and so I, I think a lot of people are inclined to try and accessorize to compensate for lack of skill. And in fact, we just heard Rob Lathan talk, talk a lot about this, right? Rob, Rob had a lot to say about this idea that, you know, just learn to shoot. Like get really good at shooting, and then you can you can say, hey, you know what? I think it might be worth it to me to have this slight incremental advantage by getting this other trigger or by adding this whateverness or et cetera. And, and that's there's no there's no harm in that. So I pre, I like your idea of just you know, don't do anything to start. And, but I'll also add to that: it's okay if you never do anything to that gun. It's okay to carry a stock gun forever, and that would make you a majority, not minority, in our game. Yeah, that's absolutely. And that's at the core of what I was talking about, and you know that. But, you know, I just pulled out of my holster here my Glock 19. It is completely stock. I'll admit, I haven't even swapped the sights on it. It has the basic stock Glock plastic sights on it, which are junk, frankly. Yeah. Um, You and I are carrying the same gun today. I also have the Glock 19, and it's 100% stock. Yeah. And you know what? I, I don't mean to be cocky, but it's kind of the reality of it this thing is completely stock it is completely basic uh this is a relatively inexpensive gun you know what it does not have that great of a trigger on it it does not have good sights on it it doesn't have a fancy aftermarket match grade barrel in it uh i don't even have an extended magazine base plate you know adding a couple extra rounds you know what it is a completely stock 15 round 9 millimeter clock 19 that I, like I said, I don't, I don't mean to be cocky, but it's just the truth. I will probably outshoot 90% of shooters out there with this stock gun. And it's because I've learned how to shoot it and I, I've practiced a lot, right? And, and that's what I'm getting right. at is spend your money on training and time at the range, learning how to shoot. And then if you want, you know, cause I, I, you know what? I'm finally getting to that point, Jacob, where I'm like, okay. I'm kind of hitting the some of some limits to an extent, and even then, I'm a little bit hesitant because I'm like, I still think I can get better, but I'm kind of getting to that point where I'm finally like, all right, I might think about doing a, a trigger, you know, aftermarket trigger, or I might think about an aftermarket uh, barrel, or you know, I'm finally getting to that point, and it's been years. I've been carrying concealed for over ten years, and uh, and, and shooting actively for for a lot longer than that. And I'm finally getting to the point where I'm thinking about some of those things. Now, I'm not saying you got to wait that long. I'm just saying, learn how to shoot, then look at the accessories. And, and here's here's part of the reason why. Because when you spend time trying to shoot the gun that you actually carry or that you might actually use for self-defense, if you actually will sp- if you'll actually put thousands of rounds through that thing, chances are you will learn oh, maybe this isn't a gun for me. Or, ooh, there's this thing about this gun that I don't like. You know, a good friend of ours, uh, our video guy, Corey, he has a SIG 938, which he loves, by the way. He loves that gun. But one thing he knows about it is that the safety on it and the serrations in that safety are they're kind of, you know, they got a pretty pretty sharp edge to it so that, you know, you can positively disengage that safety, but it cuts his, his knuckle or his thumb or something when he shoots it, when he shoots it for, especially for a long period of time. And so you wouldn't discover that if you didn't shoot it 
enough to, to find that, that thing out. And so that's one of the ways we find out if a gun actually works for us or not is to actually shoot it. And so before you spend hundreds of dollars in accessories, you find out that, oh, this does not work for me. Or you find out exactly what about that gun you might need to change accessory-wise. Yeah, and, and we're not judging. So for those of you who are like, oh, you guys are such minimalists, like, no, 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 it's fine. Like, you can go do whatever you want. Like, we don't, I have nothing wrong if you want to have a custom trigger job done, an aftermarket barrel and some sweet sights and throw a red dot on. I, I don't, I'm, it's all good. Like, no judgment here. The point we're trying to communicate is, don't do those things to compensate for lack of skill. Learn to shoot first and then make those decisions, both because you might end up changing guns and then you've wasted a lot of money and be because none of those things will compensate for lack of shooting skill. Well, but then again, Jacob, this is the ultimate CCWers, beginners guide, whatever. <laughs> and so superlative, I, superlative, I, superlative. I am saying, trust me on this. Learn to shoot, and that means put thousands of rounds through your gun, and then start looking at, this, at the accessories. Trust me on that. It'll make you leaps and bounds better uh, as a shooter and as a de- as a defensive-minded person. So finally, this is our final thing for today's episode, and that is the idea or the, uh, the potential danger of getting slide bite. Yeah, and we have a good article on uh, on our website. I think Matthew wrote that one too. Man, Matthew's getting a lot of love today. He wrote a whole article about slide bite. But I, you know, when I when I'm trying to explain a proper grip to a student, I grab the gun. I say, okay, check it out. I'm going to take the the back strap of the gun, the beaver tail, the very rear of the gun. I'm going to put it in the web of my hand between the thumb and the pointer finger. I'm going to wrap uh, my my thumb around one side, three fingers around the front. Trigger finger is going to stay straight on the side of the frame. Now I have this gap over here on the other side of the gun. I'm going to take my other hand. I'm going to fill that gap. When I do that, these two thumbs are just going to rest one on top of the other. Strong thumb on top of support thumb. And they're both going to point forward toward the target. That's roughly, you know, and, you know tweak it here, there, whatever. That's roughly the deal. And now here are the three most common mistakes I see with people with thumbs. One is what I call the thumb war move, this tendency to want to take one thumb, wrap it over the top of the other, either over you know the other, and, and use that to kind of like, almost like one thumb is holding the other one in place. It's not the end of the world, but it's probably not ideal. It's it, it, it probably not the best way to use the muscles in terms of balance, but whatever. The second big problem we'll see is people throw their thumbs in the air. The thumbs just sticking straight up in the air. And, you know, I see a lot of really quality, legitimate good shooters who shoot like that. So it's not the end of the world, but it's probably not ideal either. Not, I would say it's not by the book. But here's where slide bite comes in, and it's what I call the butterfly move. The butterfly move is when, uh, because I've taken my strong thumb and I've wrapped it around the rear of the gun, right? So my thumb is on one side and my four fingers essentially are, are on the other when I take my other hand, my support thumb, it's almost like I want to crisscross the thumbs because one thumb has come around to the alternate side. My other thumb, therefore, should too. And that kind of creates this like butterfly. If you move your thumbs, it looks like you have a butterfly on the back of the gun and they're crisscrossed. And there's just not enough space back there for that thumb to do it. And it's not allowing you to grip the gun properly and to clamp it down. And when that slide comes back, it's going to slice over that support thumb that's been crossed over the over the back. Yep. So... I see this happen where the thumbs get crossed behind the back of the gun, behind the slide. I see this commonly from two different types of shooters. Number one, it's common to see someone that is 
very familiar with revolvers or they've spent most of their life shooting only revolvers because a traditional revolver grip uh, where where they got to cock the hammer or or they've just learned even on double action where they're cocking that hammer between shots. A very efficient way of doing that is using this kind of butterfly style grip to where the support hand thumb is crossed over on the back side, because then it's right there in line with the hammer and it's very quick and efficient for someone that is working the hammer, you know, between shots with their, with their thumb. Uh, it's a lot faster than readjusting the grip, you know, and reaching up and cocking the hammer or cocking the hammer with the shooting with the dominant hand thumb, as opposed to, like I said, wrapping that support hand thumb behind and using it to cock the hammer on the revolver. So I see revolver shooters make this mistake because they, that's a, that's a very good, very common revolver grip. And then they transition to semi-auto and, you know, so that just carries over to to semi-auto. Well, the semi-auto is a different beast that requires different skills and different ways of gripping it. So there's that type of shooter that where I see this mistake made. And then there's the other one, which is really not that it's, it's not like it's a whole other category, really. It's really just folks that really haven't spent a lot of time shooting, uh, weak-handed, or if you're right-handed, you know, you haven't spent a lot of time shooting left-handed. And that's what Neil was describing. He's like, well, I've never really done this much, uh, you know, and I should have dry-fired first, do, you know, practicing this. But I went to the range, I decided I'd shoot left-handed, and he got his thumbs confused. And the reason why is because his dominant hand is, like, the thumb always goes on the left side of the gun, if he's right-handed, right? If you're right-handed, your thumb always goes on the left side of the gun. And so that... That muscle memory tends to want to carry over. Even when you grip the gun with your left hand now, your right hand still wants to put the thumb on the left side of the gun because that's where it's always gone naturally. It's just, it's been, it's a learned uh, a tendency. It's a, it's a muscle memory sort of thing. So we have to unlearn that. We have to untrain that at least when we switch to our left hand, if we're right-handed or if, you know, vice versa. So that's where we see this happen. I didn't really have a problem the first couple of times I shot left-handed with a two-handed grip on a semi-automatic. When I got into trouble, it was the first time I tried to do it under pressure, uh, you know, tried to do it quickly. And uh, so, you know, what happens is your brain kind (laughs) of gets a little bit muddled and you revert to essentially muscle memory. And so I was trying to make a transition quickly and I totally put my right-hand thumb because I'm right-handed behind the slide and I fired off a shot and that's what we call a self-correcting problem. <laughs> we get slide bite just like Neil did in his email, uh, in his story to us today. And so you're like, ah, that hurts. And chances are you may not do that ever again. Although I've known people that have done it multiple times. <laughs> but it's, it's fun to go to the range and look for those two scars on the back of people's thumbs. Um, I, also, I was with someone once who they, they, they had a semi-automatic that essentially had a really high beaver tail and it was very forgiving. And so they had that kind of a grip and they shot and it was just never an issue. And then they borrowed my gun. And the second they picked it up and they wrapped that other thumb around the back, I was like, oh, you know, I was like, I was like, they fired the trigger before I could stop. And I was like, I was, I started like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then boom, they fired it, whoo, came flying back, sliced them right up. So some guns are also more forgiving than others, even in the semi-automatic category. Uh, you know, that that's just the nature of the game. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. 
So watch out for those thumbs. Always, you know, always put your thumbs on the same side on, in the case of a semi-automatic. That's the, the easy way of putting it and learning that lesson today. So it's time to wrap it up. Today's episode is brought to you by Pig Lube. Pig Lube not only believes in putting the fun back in shooting with their fun <laughs> uh, synthesized bacon grease smelling gun lubricant. They also have unscented, by the way. But they also believe in making really good lubricant. I love pig lube. It, it is pretty much my exclusive lube that I use anymore now. And so I would hope that you would check out pig lube because not only is it fun, if you like a little bit of a a, a bacon smell, and by the way, it's very subtle. Like it's not like you put, pig, I think probably some shooters think when we talk about bacon grease smelling pig lube that they probably think it's very strong. It's actually pretty subtle. You, you really kind of have to get in there and kind of smell and go, oh yeah, I can scent, I can, I can pick it up. Uh, but it, you know, whether you go with the scented or the unscented, it's still fun and it's still very, very, very good lubricant. Uh, we've got some people who have done some testing with it, comparing to other lubes, testing it against water uh, resistance, uh, you know, rust resistance, stuff like that. It's performing very well in, in those uh, tests. But uh, also a huge advantage of pig lube is the unique applicator. Uh, there's nothing out there like the applicator, the applicator on that comes with pig lube. Plus, they just released their pig lube cleaner or PLC cleaner that is really, really great cleaner. It is, it's, it, it doesn't smell strong. It doesn't leave behind any nasty residue. It is great stuff. It cleans so well and it mates very well together with pig lube lubricant. So check out pig lube today. We have a combo pack now for sale of pig lube and Pig Lube Cleaner, PLC, in the store, available now at concealedcarry.com. Go check it out. Today's episode is also brought to you by Quick Draw. It's, a, it's another type of lubricant, but for a totally different purpose. Uh, I have here in my hand a, a Glock and a holster, and this holster has been uh, shot quite a bit or used quite a bit out of, you know, <laughs> I've shot quite a bit out of this holster with the gun. It's gotten dirty. It kind of gets scuffed and scratched up. And one of the ways I bring this holster back to life, meaning giving it the performance that it once had, is by using some quick draw. Because things get dirty, they get gritty, they get rough inside there. And quick draw is a uh, it's basically a lubricant for your for your holsters. It also works well in a light coating inside your mag wells, especially you Glock shooters out there. It just a light coating and everything is going to come out, you know, of the holster or it's, a mag is going to drop free out of the grip much nicer, very smoothly. And we saw a 10 to 15% decrease in draw to first shot times simply by using quick draw in our holsters. Go check it out at concealedcarry.com. It's in our store there. Just search for quick draw holster lubricant. Great stuff. On to picks of the week. I told you I was saving my pick of the week, which had to do with cleaning copper uh, fouling in the in a barrel. And so here it is. This is the stuff I use. It is Barnes brand. Okay. And Barnes, by the way, is well known for their all copper bullets that they manufacture. And they're very nice, high quality bullets. And I kind of look at it like this. Barnes has been well known in the industry for years now for making high quality all copper bullets. Well, who better than, you know, like who would know how to clean copper fouling better than Barnes? So 
check out the Barnes CR10 bore cleaner. That's what I use. Works very well. You you apply it, uh, let it sit for a few minutes, run your brush through, run run some rags through, run some salt, some regular solvent through, and bam, your barrel is looking shiny, bright, you know, good as new. So the Barnes CR10 bore cleaner. If you have a copper fouling issues, it works great. Try it out. Jacob, what's your pick this week? My pick, the Sportsafield 5516AR Tactical Rifle Safe. That's a mouthful. So this this is a a full-size rifle safe, but it's not gargantuous. It's uh, very reasonable in size. It's only 200 pounds. And so it's nice to have a safe that's large enough you can stick some rifles in. It's rated uh, 1,200 degrees for 60 minutes. So it's a very high-quality safe. It's strong. Um, you can fit six rifles in it and a decent number of handguns and mags and ammo. But it's not gargantuous. You don't have to hire a moving company to come pick it up and, you know, move it from from one side of the garage to the other. It's only 200 pounds empty. So, you know, a couple of dudes can move it around in the house, no problem. So I've been very pleased with it. Um, They designed this safe. They call it a tactical rifle safe. It's the only one like it I've seen. And they designed it that way so that you could put it in a bedroom closet or something like that. uh, So that, you know, you can have a a good AR or carbine or, you know, whatever you really want for self-defense handy in a home emergency type situation without having to run out to a garage or a basement where you might have that gargantuous, you know, room size thing. Yeah. I like it. Uh, you know, I checked it out at your house and uh, I like it too. Cool little safe. It's affordable too. I'd say, you know, it's, it's under a thousand bucks. Uh, you know, as far as gun safes go, I think you're getting a lot of bang for your buck and uh, it's got a digital keypad and key override. I mean, it's just, it's just a good safe and uh, totally. we have them for sale on our site. So that's where the link will take you. Absolutely. Good stuff. Uh, up next for me, by the way, is that uh, this weekend I'm shooting in the Colorado Three Gun Championship. Uh, I was actually on the wait list for that for a little while because I was a little bit late getting registered <laughs> for that one. But uh, they called me up and said, "Hey, we got a spot for you. Love to have you." And so I I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully shooting well there. That's in uh, Colorado Springs this uh, this next. Uh, weekend just in a couple of days so that should be fun and i'll be there representing concealedcarry.com one of my sponsors <laughs> as well as pick lube pick lube uh yeah i guess in full disclosure is also one of my sponsors as a as a shooter so i uh, hope to i think people probably figured out by now yeah. we kind of like pig well yeah well it, we kind of we're kind of in cahoots it, with those it, guys. it really is good lube i mean i know that i, I could say it till i'm blue in my face and some people just won't believe me but it really is amazing stuff uh so what's up next for, for you jacob Tomorrow we have our uh, big team meeting. So once a quarter, we get all our employees together and some vendors and partners, and we do a big meeting. And this time I'm really excited because we're going to be able to do our meeting at the gun range. So we'll be doing some shooting and some chatting and some strategizing all at the same time. It's going to be great. And I'm also looking forward to that. So yeah, not just uh, this will be the first time for one of our quarterly meetings where we not just have the meeting, but we also do some shooting. So that that'll be that'll be fun. So as always, uh, we thank you for listening to and subscribing to this podcast. We hope it's of value uh, for you. Uh, hope you enjoy the content that we present here on the Concealed Carry Podcast. We hope that you would continue to support us and definitely check out our sponsors. Uh, definitely check out the product mentions we mentioned on this on this show. Uh, but also, we'd appreciate it if you if you haven't already done so. Please subscribe to the podcast, and if you have the ability to go to iTunes. Uh, Apple iTunes, that is, and leave us a little review. 
We love getting those reviews. We love getting feedback from you folks. And we also love getting emails and messages, whether it be through our contact page of our website or through uh, contacting us on Facebook. Uh, concealedcarry.com is uh, obviously our website. And Concealed Carry Inc. is our uh, Facebook page. So check us out. Send us a message if you'd like to give us some feedback or leave us a review on Apple's iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and including on like, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, including <laughs> on topics. There we go. That's the word. Topics that might be well-suited for a part two of the ultimate CCW beginner's guide. Is that, is that, is that all right, Jacob? I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> you, you, you got it out without even stumbling over the words. Oh yeah. Without Yeah, totally. <laughs> Maybe we need bigger words in there. Good yeah, work, Riley. Bigger words like extreme and ultimate. So, all right, folks, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. And uh, we hope that you will go home and, or to the range or wherever it is that you might do this and train right, train often, train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care out there. Be safe. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.